0: Are you still up for the cup? Hello and welcome to episode 26 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that, there are also some off pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we've once again got a full house and that means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke?
2: Yeah, really good thanks Dan. Uh, Another interesting week of football, so looking forward to getting into it all.
0: Fantastic. Of course, I cannot forget your strike partner either, and that means that the supply line will be coming from Drew this afternoon. So, Drew, how have you been this past week?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, Dan. I'm excited to have my strike partner and Carl back up here because I think as a duel, we are lethal here on this show, and I'm happy to be back.
0: Yes, let's hope you're both firing on all cylinders this afternoon. Right, so best do the social media bits first, otherwise we'll be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Stan Tracy 1983 Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPods. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join this very elite members club. You can find me via Apple by searching for Real RealFootballCast. If you use that platform, do not forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And also, leave a review. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's the company behind the game Last Man Standing. One which is free to enter and we have a brand new prize pool and it again stands at £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, be sure to visit Loserpool.com and create an account. The odds winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? It seems as if replays are the main talking point this weekend and with the fourth round sort of... Almost been and gone. Well, I guess it has in that first phase. Cole, it seems to be a clamour for them to be scrapped. So Liverpool are one of the clubs that will have to do it all over again in a week or so. But They're taking a rather different approach, shall we say. I can understand, and I guess you will as well, that perhaps not playing your senior players is not the worst crime. However, when the manager comes out and says, well, I'm not going to be there either, that sets a rather difficult precedent, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I think, um, obviously, you know, when Klopp did this for the... You know, club championship. They didn't really have a choice, did they? You know, they were put in a difficult position. Um, whereas this time, obviously, there's no real reason why Klopp at least shouldn't be in the dugout, um, at least managing that side. Um, <clears throat> so for me, I would sit there and say that yes, I have no issue if they want to field a weakened team. Um, that that's entirely up to them, in my opinion. But I do have an issue when the manager says he's not going to be in the dugout um, at all to oversee that game. And that is where I do think the issue for most people probably comes in the fact that it should be, we don't mind you fielding the kids, but at least show some dignity by being in the dugout yourself and kind of managing that team. Um, And that is where I think you can look to say, well, hold on, this is where it suddenly starts looking a little bit wrong. Um, And I do think that probably is the wrong call from Jürgen. You know, it's not like he needs a summer break himself, does he? You know, he isn't running around for Ninety minutes getting stuck in, um, so he really should be there. And I do think, as you say, that would set a worrying trend, and obviously doesn't help with the image of the competition as a whole, does it?
0: No, not at all. And Drew, you know, obviously, Cole just referenced the fact that we saw something similar in the Carabao Cup. Is this now going to be a worrying new norm where clubs have what can be considered designated sub teams and coaching staff for knockout cups, or? Is this a sort of different set of circumstances where Liverpool are just hell-bent on winning a first-ever Premier League title and they're thinking, do you know what? If anything gets in our way, just push it to the side and all roads lead to that league title.
1: Definitely the latter. I think circumstances come into play here a lot more than people are willing to accept. And I understand why. I mean, look, I completely understand both sides of the argument. From the FA, there's no other time to put it. From Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp saying hey, you know what? You guys told us before the year, respect the winter break. I find it ironic that he's able to throw these words kind of back in their face. And so I completely understand where he's coming from. He said, we were guaranteed this break. We were supposed to get it. So you know what? We're going to take it. What I think was great during the game was Jurgen Klopp took it fairly seriously. He put on Mo Salah. He put on Roberto Firmino. He put on... Alex Oxley-Chamberlain, and all of that was with Divock Origi still out there. So he had a lot of first-team players. Now, that may have been to avoid a replay more than trying to be respectful of the FA Cup, but regardless, he did have a fairly strong squad out there. Ultimately, it backfired, and now they're in this predicament for a replay. Then, of course, when he comes out and says this, it looks like he's not taking it seriously. So again, I see both sides of it, but I do think Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool are justified. I don't think this is going to be a ripple effect and all of a sudden next year all the big Premier League teams are going to play you know U19 teams or anything like that. I don't really see that happening. It's all circumstantial.
0: Do Liverpool Drew, have to be somewhat I guess applauded for gaming the system? You know will the governing bodies have a word or is this Liverpool's prerogative? Their right to actually do what they're doing at the moment?
1: I do think it is their prerogative. I also do think that behind the scenes, absolutely, people, the FA, are on the horn with Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp because they don't want to see the competition relegated any more than it already has been. And, you know, we can talk about the reason why that is money, different things, but the fact is that the FA Cup certainly is not the priority, not just for Liverpool this year, but for most Premier League and even a lot of championship sides. Instead, they're more focused on the domestic league, and because of that, the FA already knows this competition is in the back of people's minds and they can't let that happen anymore. So definitely, I think, behind their scenes, they are trying everything they can to get Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp to play a respectable squad and at least to have him as the manager in the dugout.
0: Carl, at the same time, will the governing bodies, or the FA in this um, case, will they have to take it on the chin slightly? Because if they poke the bear too much and you know, really go at Liverpool and Man City, for example... Will those two clubs turn around and say, do you know what, if it's going to be like that, we, you're just going to get a reserve team at best next season?
2: Yeah, I think so, obviously, because, yeah, that's, as you say, the other side of it is... Uh... Jürgen is going to say, "But well, hold on, we've been told this is a winter break around this period. Um, and as you say, you poke the bear um, and the bear normally ends up responding after a certain amount of time, does not it? You know, the more you push it, the, m- the more you'll get a reaction. So I do kind of think there is a, a little bit where they'd have to be careful. But like I say, you know, I, I think we're seeing a longer picture, but... I would have said, you know, listen, you know, we can understand if you feel the weak inside, but at least show, you know, at least at least you if you're in the dugout, it doesn't look so bad. And I don't really see why Jurgen can't be there. But I do think they'll tread reasonably lightly because yeah, they, they don't want these teams then taking a longer view of well, you wait till next year then. Um so yeah, I, I think there'll be a softer approach as such.
0: And Carl, stay with you then. So if we talk of designated teams, You know how the Champions League will name a pool of players, so you'll get a designated group of, say, 23 with unlimited kids. Could you see something similar happening in the FA Cup next season where, you know, you name a group of, say, 25-30 and then at least that way, the fans aren't necessarily short-changed. Everyone knows what they're working with and there's no sort of dramatic chopping and changing at certain rounds of the competition.
2: I don't think we will I don't think they'll change it too much just based on this as Drew said I think you know they might just see this as being maybe a one-off and they'll see what happens next year the one thing I would sort of say um, when you look at it from a fan's point of view is if you know teams are going to field youth sides or weakened teams then the only thing I feel for the sort of everyday fan is that the prices that people are going to be charged for that game should then kind of reflect what they're going to see so you know if you're going to that match and suddenly you're being charged, you know, £40 a ticket, and then you realise that, well, actually, hold on a minute, I've paid £40, but all I'm seeing really is our under-23 side, then that isn't really fair to the average supporter. So I do kind of think they should bring something in that says, well, listen, you know, dependent on the side you're going to put out... That will be dependent on what you can charge the average punter to come in and see a game. Because we've no problem if you want to put under twenty out, but don't charge people prices where you'd expect them. They're expecting to see the first eleven, because then that, to me, is just you know morally wrong against the supporter who's paying through the nose to come in and see that game.
0: Yeah, I must add, this isn't a sort of an opportunity to sort of hit Liverpool with constant sticks because they have actually lessened their prices for the cut replay. So that must be commended, if nothing else. Drew, Jürgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola have been very vocal about the abolishment of cup replays. With them being scheduled in this middle of the Premier League winter break, are we really at a point where something has to give now? And if it's not replays, it must be the Carabao Cup or the FA Cup starts earlier and the teams join in around, I don't know, October, November, when they're not necessarily knackered. Like, how does football get out of this logjam, if at all?
1: Well, something has to give, mainly because Klopp and Liverpool happen to be managing the two best teams in the league right now, two world powers. I think if we if it were other managers, some of these things wouldn't be as as popular in the news or or as uh, talked about as much. So I think that definitely plays into it and I think if there's going to be any changes, not even just an elimination of of a competition or anything like that, but even changes as as Carl talked about with, you know, a squad of you know, twenty-five, thirty players set before the 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 competition begins, kind of like a Champions League. I think if there's any big-time changes like that, it's going to happen to the Caribou Cup first as a guinea pig before they do it in the FA Cup. I think that's going to be the thing. But something has to give because I think players are playing too many games. There are a lot of demands on them. I do think that eventually the Caribou Cup will cease to exist. How soon that's going to be? Obviously, I'm not a you know a psychic. I'm not a fortune teller, so I can't tell you. But yeah, something has to give very soon. I think replays are probably going to be the thing that gets next, even though there's not that many replays still anyways. But something has to give. I doubt the Premier League is going to give up the match between Boxing Day and New Year's. That's probably another day where I think they could make some cuts. I know this isn't generally allowed by UEFA, but maybe if they played during the Champions League when in the round of 16 when the Premier League teams aren't playing. Because remember, those are split over a month, not just two weeks. I know UEFA heavily frowns upon that, but maybe that's something that the FA and England have to look into. But something has to give because players are playing too many games. And if teams aren't taking the competition seriously, then there's really no point in even having it because there's no integrity within it anymore.
0: Absolutely. And, Cole. people will look at the comments of Klopp and Guardiola and say, oh, this is just two foreign managers sticking their nose in, trying to make away with tradition. However, Cole Robinson of Oxford, you know, this is a League One team. He's also said that cup replays aren't necessary because you have to consider that Oxford in League One will play six more matches before the playoffs than their Premier League counterparts. So it does seem to be an issue up and down the league ladder at the moment, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, and we saw it as well with Brentford at the weekend, didn't we? You know, they made six changes and left out their, their main goal scorers for that game. And I think even their manager came out and said after the game, didn't they, that although they started chasing it in the second half, if they'd equalised, they probably would have just thrown everyone up front in in an attempt possibly to to see if they can be a goal for either side because they just didn't want the extra game. Um, and it does look like now, you know, more and more teams, and it's not just Premier League sides, um, are focusing more on what they're doing in their current league rather than in the Cups. Um, and you can't blame them. Um, the league is where it's all at, isn't it? You know, and if you're fighting for survival in your league or you're pushing for a title in those, you know, divisions below the Prem, they're your real money spinners. So, you know, you're not going to risk possibly losing out on 150 mil or something to come up to the Premier League if you can for the sake of winning the FA Cup and possibly a couple of million pound prize money. Um, so you can understand it. It's disappointing in because, you know, those are the sides that you think, well, surely this would be a competition you should want to be in for the glamour of it. But it just goes to show, money. Football's moved on, and it's the money that kind of talks now. And it's not just the Premier League sides who are thinking about that. Teams from lower divisions are also prioritising their league form and their possible, you know, promotion or relegations over something like the FA Cup. I personally think the League Cup will be the first one that goes. You know, it disappeared for a while before, didn't it? Um, most other continents don't have two cup competitions I'd be very surprised if we don't see the end of the Carabao Cup in the very near future
0: Yeah I mean if you take a League 2 team they play 46 games in the league then you've got at least an FA Cup first round match same with the Carabao Cup then you've also got the Checker Trade Trophy so you're looking at what I don't know 51 games there maybe the playoffs it's absolutely absurd and you've got to think also a League 2 team will probably have a squad of 19 senior players so you can understand that they're at bursting point as well and Drew when it comes to the smaller teams Of course, they're always going to be grateful of earning a replay, especially if it takes them to Anfield. Shrewsbury being the perfect example of that. So, obviously, from their point of view, they're thinking, well, if we lose that, we are sort of hamstrung by the way we can earn revenue. Because sometimes that can set up a team for maybe two, even three seasons. I remember Exeter getting a draw against Liverpool a few years back, and that was exactly the scenario. So, can we mediate this by getting rid of replays and the FA just simply increasing the prize pot, which goes out to the teams?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when people talk about the magic of the FA Cup, to me, that also includes getting drawn home or away. So I I know we're not trying to hammer home about Liverpool and Shrewsbury, but it's just an example of that. You know, let's say there was no replay and they just played this game out. Well, they got to play Liverpool at home, win or lose. Or on the reverse, if it was at Anfield, then they would make that revenue. You know, when... These smaller clubs talk about oh the replay is where we draw revenue. I totally sympathize with that and I and I get it. But there's no guarantee you were going to get a Premier League club. There's no you could get Bournemouth who have a very small Premier League stadium. So, I don't like when people argue about the replay in terms of getting money because you could have gotten money if you'd had just got if you just drawn them to play away in the first place anyways or you may not get the money anyways because it's not guaranteed you may get a small premier league team you may not get a premier league team so i don't really like that argument in terms of money when it comes to replays at some point i think the replays are going to go away because like you guys talked about or like carl talked about even smaller clubs down in the football league don't really want to take it so at some point that's going to be the case because it's too many games Uh, at the top when it comes to teams like in the Premier League, and it's also too many games for teams even lower down in the leagues as well.
0: So, Carl, Drew's just mentioned the magical phrase, the magic of the FA Cup, and do you get the feeling that that in itself is starting to lose its luster? Because you look at the competition since 2000, you've had two teams outside the recognised big six, and that doesn't even include Spurs, you've not even won an FA Cup since, well, we all know that one, Carl. But Portsmouth and Wigan (laughs) are the only two teams to have broken the stranglehold of... The famous five, as it were. So do you need to perhaps get rid of replays to add a bit more jeopardy into the competition? Because, yes, replays may add revenue, but it also gives teams who may have been dumped out a massive safety net. Take it to penalties. You know, that big team's got a 50-50 chance of losing as well, which then in turn might just open up the competition to more and more teams.
2: Yeah, I think the problem is, it's the same with the Carabao Cup, isn't it? Some of these, if you take someone like Man City, you know, they might feel the weakened side all the way up to the semi finals. And then if you draw them in the semi final, you know. Then all of a sudden City actually think, well, hold on, there's a chance for us to actually win this now, you know, just a couple of games. That's throwing the big guns. And then all of a sudden you've gone there thinking you might get their kids. And now you are facing, you know, the real might of Man City. And you end up then getting pummeled into semi-finals or lose that game. And you think, well, that magic kind of disappeared because we thought we had a real chance. Yeah. Um, it's just one of them, isn't it? It's not very often, as you're saying there, one of the side, you know, it's not very often it doesn't go further than the, one of the top six in the Premier League teams. And maybe that is why the interest is waning from the lower leagues, as they just actually know the most we can possibly hope for is a quarter final berth. Um, but once we get there, the chances are we're not going to be able to overpower these bigger sides. Um, and then maybe the the cup is dying. I don't really know how you kind of. Get this round, you know. I know before there used to be times, I don't know if you remember Dan, we drew Marlowe, I think, once in the FA Cup, and they actually chose where they wanted to play the game. That's right, yeah. And it ended up being played at White Hart Lane in the end. Um, Maybe we go back to a system where if two teams get drawn and you draw, say, a non league side, there is the opportunity they can choose where they want to play the game, you know. Maybe it might be that they think, well, actually, we've drawn Tottenham at home, but you know what? We'd rather play it at your ground you know, and then we get the bigger revenue there and not being funny, what happens, happens, you know, the likelihood is it won't go to a replay, even if it went to extra time, you might see us over but then maybe there's a way we can let the teams, if you like, decide where they want to play that tie um, and see if that possibly helped but I really think the only solution to this, it's the fixture pile-up that's causing it and I think the only way you really solve it is maybe get rid of the League Cup and then as you say, start the FA Cup earlier and then I think you see the magic possibly come Back because people get more involved again because you know well actually this is the only cup competition there is to play for um, in in you know in the England, English game, and Matt might see you know the feelings coming back, but I think as you say for the lower league sides, they know the reality is they're not going to win it they're just hoping to get as far as they can and possibly draw the bigger side the biggest side they can as soon as possible and get the game out of the way and get the revenue that sees them in business for a couple of years.
0: Okay, Drew, so from someone on the other side of the Atlantic, do you harbor much romance with the FA Cup or do you look at it from a sort of, oh, do you know what? It's a weekend off. That said, it is still a trophy to be won. So Chelsea in the competition themselves. So do you harbor much romance? I know you have the US Open Cup over there, not quite in the same esteemed calibre, but what's your take on all things FA Cup?
1: Yeah, so the US Open Cup, I mean, just for people who aren't familiar, it is the US's version of the FA Cup. And it is far and away second to MLS. Like, it is not a priority at all for teams here. So I do think a lot of people here kind of have that mentality. And and I will admit that creeps into me as well a little bit. I don't watch the FA Cup as feverishly as I watch the Premier League. Will I watch you know a a good tie if it's if it's a real tasty one let's say a Manchester derby or something like that sure i'm probably going to tune into it but a lot of times when you match premier league teams with championship sides i'm not going to watch much beyond chelsea my favorite club um, so I don't really have that affinity or the romance behind it, but I do understand it. Um, I know, Dan, you and I, we've talked off air before about how the FA Cup used to be the only match on TV, pretty much, or the, the final. And you got to play at Wembley, which no one really got to unless you were on the national team. And so I do understand, you know, the the appeal of it. I understand people's emotional ties to it and what it can mean. So I never disregard that. Whatsoever, um, But again, for people on this side of the pond, I do think it is a lot less important than the Premier League, especially for someone who's a newer fan and kind of entering uh, the, the English game, so to speak. They're going to see it reflected in their club's decisions that the FA Cup, you have your reserves in there. The FA Cup, you have youngsters in there. The League Cup, that's when guys get their first, you know, appearance possibly for the senior team. So I think people on this side, that's the way they see it because they see it reflected in the club and how they approach it as well.
0: Yeah, do you know, it's a really good point I've never really thought of that. If you're sort of looking at it from uh, a long distance, or even on uh, UK soil, that if your team's not really putting in the effort in terms of line-ups and what have you, you think, well, actually, you know, maybe I can have a weekend off, which is not really something that would have been the case with us, Carl, you know, let's say slightly a generation further back, you know, we sort of are invested in every match, but now as a, I wouldn't say fair weather fans, but people are a little bit more disposable with their time, and if the team's not investing 90 minutes, then why should they?
2: I think it's that thing as well, Dan, isn't it? As you say, it's what you've grown up with. I mean, our generation, the FA Cup, was the biggest, you know, seen as the biggest thing and a a glamour showpiece, you know, where you spent the day in front of the telly. Um, Nowadays, you know, the modern generation of fans have grown up with the Champions League and Premier League and as you say if no one's really their team hasn't taken the cup seriously over a certain amount of years then obviously each season you kind of think well we're not interested in that Champions League or Premier League that's all we really care about and I think obviously that that is just unfortunate that that's what's happened over the years you know for us it still holds a, a kind of magic um, but for the younger generation of fans supporting you know say City or Liverpool teams like that um, it's just not important to them anymore and I'm afraid it's not an easy solution to get that back, is it? That magic back, you know? We've had lots of things over the years. Do you attach a Champions League place to that competition? But then what does happen if a Wigan win it one year again and suddenly now you're going to throw them into the Champions League and everything with the coefficient and stuff like that? So yes, no real easy. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> We can go into the new camp you know, when they're in League One. Uh, it doesn't kind of hold the sway that people want, does it? So, you know, it, it really is, I think, a generational thing now. We still love it because we're that older generation. The younger generation, they've got, they've, they've got their eyes on different prizes, I think.
0: So let's have a quick uh, recap of some action of the weekend. Drew, you can analyse your boys' Chelsea. wouldn't say they edged past hold, but it wasn't quite a plain sailing at the same time either, was it?
1: Yeah, Chelsea made a wholesale set of changes again, right? Michi Batshuayi up front uh, is just an example of that, him getting a goal. And you're right. Once again, you saw, even though it was a change side, pretty much the exact same problems that Chelsea have seen pretty much all year. Finishing, not good enough. Yes, Batshuayi got a goal and everything, but other than that, he didn't have much influence on the game. And then defensively, They fell apart a little bit at the end and let Hull, in this case, but they let any team back into it. So, you know, these problems that you're seeing, it's not necessarily down to individuals within the team. It kind of is a problem throughout the entire squad. Attacking needs to improve, and if Tammy Abraham's going to be hurt long-term, it definitely looks like Chelsea's going to have to buy someone or at least get them on loan for the next six months for the end of this year. And then defensively, They have to improve as well. Set pieces continue to be a nightmare. And it seems it doesn't matter what competition Chelsea are playing in. If it's Champions League, Premier League, or Domestic Cup, they can't really put teams away. And that's become a worrying problem. I think if you're a Chelsea fan, the biggest question right now is, can they really hold on to fourth place? Because if they continue to have problems at the back and let goals in late, I think they're going to really struggle. And it's going to be a tight race for that last Champions League spot.
0: And, Cole, ironically, Spurs need a replay. That said, we'll be at home for this. So, does that result put us in the box seat to get into the fifth round?
2: Uh, You'd like to think so. But I think, I guess, you know, Southampton uh, are not playing too badly lately. So, I I still think, you know, that game is up in the air, you know, It, it. It really could go either way, I think. You know, we saw at the weekend, you know, Spurs had some good chances and could possibly have put the game to bed in the first half. But then, you know, second half, we kind of let it slip a little bit and Southampton came back strongly and you kind of got the feeling that a goal was coming. Um they missed, you know, some good chances just before they got the equaliser. Um, so I think that one's still a little bit in the open, but you'd like to think home advantage gives Spurs that slight edge that hopefully will see them through and put us into the next round with a home game at Norwich. Um, which then obviously again you're sitting there thinking, well that good again puts us in the driving seat and then you're in the quarter finals but You know, knowing the way Spurs are playing this year, I wouldn't want to get too far ahead of myself because Southampton could come and put a real performance on, as we've seen they've done before away from home this season.
0: Yeah, it'd have to be one step at a time for Spurs. And, Carl, I'll stay with you very quickly, because Manchester United, I think they'd love to play Tranmere every week. Is it fair to say they've found found their level at the moment?
2: Jesse Lingard (laughs) might have done, that's for sure. Um, We have his
1: landing spot for a transfer (laughs) this, this January.
2: Yeah, I think that was one of them games when it, you know, you sitting there before the game thinking, oh, you know, dodgy, dodgy pitch, um, you know, this this could be a tricky tie, but they kind of brushed them aside, um, and like as you say, then I, I, they probably wish they could play a team like that every week, um, but they're through. I think that would be all they care about. Um, it could have been a tough game, but they kind of made easy work of them, so they'll be quite happy.
0: And Drew, very quickly, we'll go to the Etihad. I mean, Man City versus Fulham. Fulham, a team in the playoffs, in the championship level. So you think, you know, not a, a matchup, which was a million miles apart. But Tim Ream gets sent off after a few minutes. Gundogan slots home from the penalty spot. It's as good as then, isn't it?
1: American Tim Ream. That's right, I yes. Would like to point out. American <laughs> Tim Ream uh, looked like an American out, in, out there uh, with that red card in the sixth minute. You know, we saw this last year when Fulham was in the Premier League is that they really were a step below a lot of teams. And then so now facing Manchester City in the FA Cup, you saw once again that Fulham is below their level. And I don't think Fulham have any shame in this game. They went down to 10 men and lost a defender right away. And so from that from then on out, I mean, you're never really in a position to succeed. And so that was unfortunate for them. I actually think for Manchester City, the biggest thing from this game is Gabriel Jesus' Being taken off penalty duties, as he stated after, right? He won the penalty, but he didn't take it. He's missed his last three for club and country. He hasn't hit one in any competition in over a year for club and country. And so he's struggling from the spot. He says he wants to win it back and earn that spot from Pep, but it's hard to see it happening because he is an awful penalty taker and. Although he could have taken it in this game and it wouldn't have mattered, I think down the stretch, there's no way he takes another penalty this year, FA Cup or not.
0: Right. Usually, we pay the bills on the other side of half time, but we've got something different in the second half, so we're going to do it this moment. Now, Cole, the pundits, the press, they're all saying, can he do it? Can he go unbeaten this season? You've got 10 already. What have you got for me for number 11? What's your 11th potential loser pick in a row?
2: My 11th, then I'm going to go for Burnley, um, playing Arsenal at home. Um, but I think, oh, you know, Burnley not been playing great recently, although they got that win at Old Trafford. I think Arsenal may just get a result. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to pick Burnley um, as my next loser.
0: OK, I mean, from here on in, they're going to get tougher and tougher. So is Burnley <laughs> going to be the team which finally trips Carl up? Drew, you were tripped up a fortnight ago as you picked Leicester, ironically, to beat Burnley. So what have you got for me this week?
1: Yeah, I'm going to ease back into things. I'm going to take a nice one that's going to help me get back on track. I'm going to take Southampton, guaranteed losers at Anfield against Liverpool.
0: I thought that might be the case. That's a good suggestion. Oh, to be honest, there's not really a great deal that sort of stands out in terms of, there's a lot of bitty games where teams are relatively equal, which doesn't make life too easy for me. And that means I am, do I go sacrilege or not? Yes, I'm going to go for Tottenham to lose at home to Manchester City. Now, Cole, I know you've played this card before, so don't lamb me too much. I'm also looking at it from a reverse psychology point of view. So if I go in with a low expectation, anything more is a bonus. So it pains me to say it, but I just think all the other games, you know, Leicester-Chelsea could go either way. And I think if you look at all the other fixtures, they are very evenly matched. And you could see quite easily away teams getting something or what have you. So I'm not saying that Tottenham might not get anything, but I just do feel that out of the picks... It's going to be Man City to, um, to edge that one. So, let's recap. Cole is on 20 points this season. He's going to go for Burnley to lose at home to Arsenal. Drew is on 16, so he's four behind. He's going to go for Southampton to lose away at Liverpool. And I, somewhat gradually, I'd go for Tottenham to lose at home to Manchester City. And I'm on 10 points, so I really need to pull my finger out quickly. Right, that is the first half. Don't go anywhere, because the transfer tavern is going to be open for business and we'll be back very soon. Your accumulator letting you down, again. You've cashed out early. And you just can't win. Prehistoric football coupons?
1: Nah. Have a think about it.
0: Why not play a new way? At Loserpool, pick a loser and win a thousand pounds in a last man standing tournament. Be a loser and win. At Loserpool. Enter for free now. Visit Loserpool.com Right, I hope you're still there. As I just mentioned, the transfer tavern is open. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, because we're going to be talking transfers for the next half an hour. So the basis of this sort of transfer tidbits, a bit like Sky Sports News where they just talk and waffle on all month about who's going to go where. We're going to try and compact that down to 30 minutes or so. So what I've done is I've sort of scraped all the transfer news off the BBC gossip column for the last sort of three or four days. And we're just going to literally rattle through them. We can discuss potential moves, debunk ones which are going to be sort of very fanciful, so on and so forth. So let's go for a relatively easy one. Carl, I'll start with you. Arsenal, they're expecting an approach from Barcelona for Pierre. Enric Abamyang. Now, can you see that happening in January? Moreover, can you see that happening at the end of the season?
2: Oh, I couldn't see it happening in January because I don't think Arsenal can afford to lose someone like him this season. Um, and I think they probably will ask for an astronomical fee um, to let him go. But there are rumours of that he's a little bit disgruntled. Um, so it, I wouldn't be surprised possibly if that could be resurfaced in the summer. But definitely not for January for me.
0: Okay, Drew, you get some some Alexis Sanchez news as your first bit of business. So Manchester United's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has said that in the summer, they're willing to sort of take him back and give him another chance. He's 31. Are United somewhat clutching at straws now?
1: They are really scraping the bottom of the (laughs) barrel. And, And I don't mean that as a shot at Alexis Sanchez, him personally. I more mean it as he failed... To prove himself there he had his opportunity and now being older I don't think he's gonna become any better after returning from Italy so I don't really see this happening however if they are actually intending to bring him back then I do appreciate Solskjaer kind of getting out in front of it and praising the man right away and making sure that kind of positive idea uh, is always out there if this does indeed happen This, to me, sounds ridiculous. If I'm Manchester United, I'm not looking to the past in Alexis Sanchez. I'm looking to the future on the pitch, of course, maybe off the pitch as well. So this, to me, is crazy. There's no way this happens. Unless, of course, unless, of course, Ed Woodward is still in charge and he's taking crazy pills, which he might be.
0: Well, nothing's uh, given at Manchester United that could be the case. In terms of Manchester United, Cole, they have been somewhat frustrated in the transfer market this month. Bruno Fernandes... The prime example of that is almost saga territory now. Can you see them coming in with a final offer before Friday and finally getting this one over the line?
2: Yeah, this is a difficult one, isn't it? I kind of think that obviously the price tag has now put them off um, and they may sit there and think, well, actually, we'll just wait till the summer now to go back in for this one because we're not going to be held to ransom over a price tag. You kind of think if it was going to happen, it would have happened um, by now. But, you know, this one I can say would be 50-50 for me. It could go either way. They'll either see that they need him um, and make that move and pay the money or they'll just say, no, maybe we sit tight till the end of this season. You know, hopefully they try and get Pogba back. Um, so I, I probably think they'll give that one a miss right now because they don't want to be paid. They don't have to pay that money and look, look, look weak in terms of being bullied by another club.
0: And talking of weakness in the market, Drew, United could be set to sign nobody because they mentioned... Edison Cavani in certain circles, and you have to take the sort of gossip with a pinch of salt because this is exactly what it is gossip. So, if Cavani is going to go anywhere, we discussed this ourselves last week. Does Atletico Madrid look like the final destination?
1: Yeah, it definitely seems like it. From everything I'm reading, Cavani is dead set himself on going to Atletico Madrid. And I understand for him, maybe part of it is being able to speak Spanish again, uh, maybe part of it is he thinks Atletico can challenge for a La Liga trophy although I wouldn't agree with the team they have now under Simeone maybe he thinks that they can get over the line in Champions League and that's something he's looking for Uh, but he seems definitely dead set on going to Atletico Madrid honestly I don't know if this is necessarily the best move for him sporting wise but if it's going to make him happy personally then good luck to him Uh, Right now, it seems, whether it's Spurs, Manchester United, Chelsea, no one's going to pry him from going to the Spanish capital.
0: Cole, who doesn't love a transfer tug-of-war?
2: No, oh, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, this, this is what keeps us on edge, isn't it? You know, well, maybe not if you're a Spurs fan because you're not often in many tugs of war um, during transfer windows. But um, yeah, no, we all love it, don't we? It's the first thing you kind of look for in the morning, isn't it? You know, get home and put Sky Sports on. You know, you're hoping to see across that yellow ticker at the bottom that, you know, your club's done a bit of business or suddenly a breaking news and you're looking to sign that superstar. Um, so I think it's what keeps us all going um, and something that we all love. And once that Transfer window slam shut. It kind of, you know, a little bit, it comes a little bit boring, doesn't it? Because you know there's going to be no news and something that might not get you off the edge of your seat.
0: Right, so thankfully, The Telegraph have got one for us two, us three, sorry, for you two now, because they're saying that Chelsea and Tottenham are both going for Christoph Pyatek. So, Drew, is that something that Chelsea need or want? No. No? Quite, quite. Take <laughs> quite them. Quite on that Take one. them, Tottenham. <laughs> okay, so, Carl, flip it back to you. Do we want
2: Pitek? Do you know what, Dan? I've not heard of the bloke. I think I'd have to, you know, for me, this is Danny Rose territory with Google, isn't it? You know, you're Googling a name and saying, well, hold on a minute. Who is this bloke? Never heard of him. Um, for me, it's not, a, it's not a transfer I'd actually want us to make, you know. if we, need, we do need a striker, but I want someone more proven, you know, possibly with some Prem experience already. Um, so, for me, I, I would give this one a miss as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, at thirty million, it does seem more in the sort of calculated punt. Um, Better get my words right there, (laughs) otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, yeah, it just seems like too much of a gamble, and he's not really blowing Syria apart. You know, the numbers aren't great, so I think, you know, whether it's a case of that or no striker, that's a risky kind of move, isn't it? But you know, we've been saddled with so many Soldados, Janssens, etc., etc. That you do sort of worry that it's getting your fingers burnt again, especially at the cost of thirty million. So, Drew, do you need Google for the name Pablo Mari? Does that mean anything to you in Arsenal?
1: Uh, I will admit, I know just as much about Piontek as I do Pablo Mari. Well, here, here's the thing, is with Mari and his deal with Arsenal supposedly falling through, I think this is a... I'm going to take a shot in the dark here and say this comes more from the player side than the Arsenal side, only because Arsenal right now have to sign pretty much anyone they can in order to improve. And Pablo Mari seemed like someone who was going to be able to help them with that. They've had success. Arsenal's had success signing guys out of Latin America, at least in, in recent years. And I think this could have been another one. But again, I think he's probably having cold feet, thinking, looking at Arsenal right now, they're not really improving. They're going to have to sell off their best player, Aubameyang, whether that's to Barcelona or somewhere else. So I think the player is more backing out of this one than anyone else. Because if I'm a player right now, there's absolutely no way i go to Arsenal. And I think that's what happened with the Pablo Mari deal.
0: I think this bit of gossip first broke on Sunday. So, Carl, will they be pushed along slightly with Mustafi getting stretched off yesterday against Bournemouth? Or is it because it's Mustafi, it's no real sort of difference anyway?
2: Yeah, I don't see them going out and rushing to be honest, because obviously Arteta's there now, isn't he? And, and what you don't want to do is panic go and buy someone just for the sake of it, and then all of a sudden in the summer, you realise you're stuck with someone that you then might struggle to get off your wage bill if you want to get rid of them. So, I don't think Arsenal will go out panic buying. I think the fact, as you said, that Mustafi's been out regularly for them, I think they'll just kind of live with it and, and do what they've been doing and patching that back four up. You know, that's why right. we all know Arsenal's biggest problem is the so for me, they need to get a sign in there right rather than just bring a body in that maybe doesn't do the, the right job for them. So I think they'll hold off on that one.
0: Right, the next bit is quite Tottenham-centric. I make no apologies. It's literally the gossip in front of me. So, Drew, I'll start with you. Stephen Bergvine, is that going to be the answer to Tottenham's attacking issues at present?
1: Well, they definitely need someone to help out while Harry Kane is out. But remember, he is coming back. Well, hopefully, uh, at the end of the year. So I don't think they necessarily need to panic buy. Now with Bergvine, if it's going to be maybe a loan, that might be a better place to start for Spurs because they have plenty of other options, right? You do have the resurgence of Delhi Alli. You do have Lucas Moura, Young min So they already have plenty of options. Bringing in someone, if they're going to buy him, it seems as if it's not necessarily the right move long term unless they're already looking at ser- selling Harry Kane as well, maybe after the Euros or something like that, so it kind of depends on what Spurs are looking to do with Kane, but I don't think they need to panic by if that's what this is.
0: And Carl, moving slightly back down the pitch, midfield, Emre Chan is a name that's been linked with Tottenham, can you see that one getting off the ground?
2: No, I don't don't think I see that signing happening, to be honest. Um, I I think that's just, you know, someone's thrown that name out there, haven't they? Um, I can't see us making the bid there, given the fact that, you know, the wages and everything involved. And and we've got, I think, you know, some players that can cover in that area. So I don't think Daniel Levy will be looking to push that one through. So I think someone's just come up with the name there. Um, But I think that's wishful thinking.
0: And Drew, Tottenham looks set to lose two full-backs on loan. I think one of them's actually gone through. That's Kyle walker peters Danny Rose still with a little bit of movement to go. That said, if they do go out on loan, will that be the end of him as a Tottenham player? Will this be loans with view to permanence? Can you ever see him wearing Tottenham colours again?
1: Uh, Danny Rose, absolutely not. He's been wanting out for so long. And to a certain degree, it's kind of good to see him finally get granted that because he's... Tried to be, I think, as professional about it as possible on the pitch, I would say, as much as possible. Um, And so for him, he's obviously never coming back to Spurs. For Kyle Walker-Peters, I think there is definitely a shot, but there is a lot of competition, right? Jaffet Tanganga has come out and he's played very well on both the right and left side of defense so far, right? If Juan Foyth is ever going to really kind of grow into who they expect out of him. So I think for Walker Peters, there is a chance. I think it also depends on some of the other options that are uh, at right and left back for Spurs that are also young.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. A lot of it depends on actually what fills those gaps. And I don't really think any gaps are going to be filled in this next few days. Carl, Can you see any defensive reinforcement being added?
2: No, you can't really see it, can you? No, nothing. Nothing springs to mind, or you're not seeing this heavy linked with someone um, there coming in defensively. Um, so I, I think again, it's one of them situations that they're gonna, they're not going to rush it. Um, they'll probably just get by with what we're doing now till the end of the season, and then obviously look to have that kind of ship out and play new players in for say for, to work with over the summer um, so yeah I, I'd be very surprised if we bring some defensive cover in at the moment I think as we say Tanganga's come through who can now play either side or or centrally so I think they'll probably just look to kind of make do now to the end of the season um, but you know going back to Carl Walker-Peters I think we mentioned it last night Dan you know I don't think we'll probably see him in a Spurs shirt again you know the loan goes well I think he'll get a permanent move at the end of it um, and I think unfortunately for him his time possibly was, you know, a couple of seasons ago, didn't really make the jump, should have gone on loan then. Um, so I'd be surprised if we see, see him um, back at Spurs. I, I, and, and to be honest, good luck if he gets a move because he probably he needs regular first team football.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Carl, I'll stay with you. You mentioned Tanganga and his emergence. And that emergence has perhaps knocked one down the pegging, pegging order slightly. So if you believe the Guardian, they're saying that West Ham are weighing up a bid for the Argentine. Can you see that one getting over the line?
2: I'd like to think for him it doesn't, Dan, because I couldn't think of nothing worse right now, could you? I mean, dear me. I think I'd rather be a bit, I think I'd rather be a bit part of Spurs than go there. God, dear me. Um, no, I think, as you say, unfortunately, the emergence of Tanganga has probably pushed Foyth down the pecking order a, a little bit. You know, I think now you've probably got Sanchez, Tanganga, and then Foyth, where I think this year lots of us were thinking he'd come through and play it right back, uh, but doesn't look like Jose Fancies in there. So... There may be a move on, but you know, again, that may just be a lone move. But I'll like say, I sincerely hope for his sake, it's not a, uh, it's not West Ham, because well, you know, you may as well end your career there, mightn't you?
0: There you go. Drew, we spoke last week about Pepe Reina at Aston Villa, and it seems, if you believe Talk Sport, which is a dangerous move to make, that Dean Smith might be trying to get the, uh, the Liverpool band back together, because he's been linked with a move for Daniel Sturridge, almost a forgotten man of sort of English football. 30, um, playing at Transob Sport in Turkey. He scored four goals in nine appearances this season, so I think once again injuries and formers curtailed him once more. Four million or so, could that be good business for the Villa?
1: You know, I think that's actually not a bad idea because I'm sure for Daniel Sturridge, he wants to come back to the Premier League as well. And so I think that's actually a a good price range for Aston Villa. Now, I will put in one caveat. I personally don't want to see this happen because Aston Villa now have started playing a teenager named Indiana Vasilev, an American national. So me personally, I would like to see him continue to get minutes and he's not quite a big strong striker he's more uh someone who drops in to midfield to help link up which is something that the u.s needs and i would love to see him continue to get minutes against top quality competition so i do admit my bias there but again from aston villa's side wanting a big striker up front or well as big as they can get i guess daniel surge i think isn't a bad name and at £4 million, not a bad price range. I could definitely see this happening.
0: So, Carl, if you cast your mind back to the summer, Arsenal fans were triumphant in their capture of Danny Ceballos, weren't they? You know, laughing, lauding in our faces almost. It hasn't really gone to plan for him and Arsenal. It seems as if he wants to move on already. Can you see him going back to Real Madrid this early? Or will it just be something that fizzles out at the end of the season and they just sort of part ways rather amicably?
2: Yeah, I, I you know as like you say, you know, they thought they'd signed the Messiah when they got him from under us, didn't they? And it was going to change their season, but it just hasn't worked for him, unfortunately. Um, I, I don't, I see it fizzling, and I, I just see, I don't see it happening in January. Um, but as you said, I think in the summer it's a, it's a, that he'll go back to Madrid um, and possibly look to to go somewhere else from there because it, it just doesn't seem that it suits him or it's worked at Arsenal. Uh, now whether Arteta can kind of work with him and try and get something out of him. Who knows? But he hasn't really been, you know, it hasn't seemed to happen so far under Arteta. So I just think it'll fizzle for now. But in the summer, he'll definitely be heading back to Madrid and then looking to see where he can kickstart his career after that.
0: And Carl, I'll stay with you. Not quite as glamorous. It's a move that could involve Watford and Burnley and it's Ben Gibson on loan. So Watford have actually been quite good in terms of clean sheets, but obviously that hasn't really converted into wins. Although that situation is improving under Nigel Pearson, could it improve further if they do manage to get the 27-year-old on loan?
2: Yeah, this this is a hard one. This one, isn't it? You know, I, I can't see him setting the world alight and suddenly making them a massively different side. Um, But obviously, you know, the way things are going for them, they'll definitely want some cover in that area because obviously with Deeney's injuries, you know, if he picks up another injury, he's kind of their main man, isn't he? So they might need something there in case of the worst-case scenario. Um, As you said, they've picked up recently, so we will be going into a squad full of confidence. Um, It'd be worth a punt, I think, Um, if you're Watford. I don't think you've got anything to lose at this stage because if it goes wrong, I don't think it's going to have a massive impact on them.
0: And Drew, we spoke about Barcelona trying to get a striker at the uh, start of the transfer tavern. One other name that's been linked is Wissam Ben Yedder. So 29 years old, £67 million, looking to fill the void that would be left behind from Luis Suarez's injury. If they get him or any other big-name striker, does that sort of almost curtail Suarez's time at Barcelona? You know, he's no younger. He's not going to get any younger. I think he's, what, 32, 33 at the moment. So is that the sort of the beginning of the end for the Uruguayan at the Catalan club?
1: Oh, absolutely. And especially with his injury issues that he's had this season, whoever they get to bring in, they're definitely bringing in someone to be the starter next – well, right away, of course, but uh, next season as well. So if it's Ben Yedder, who to me isn't necessarily a big enough name for Barcelona, I think someone like Yang or uh, I'm sure there's lots of other options out there are a little bit better, but they are definitely looking for – Suarez's replacement. They're looking for the future. They're looking for their next number nine.
0: Another La Liga star now, Cole, James Rodriguez, and he's been linked with Arsenal and Everton. Can you see either of those two signing him, maybe not before the end of the week, but a summer move? Because I know Carlo Angelotti is a big fan of Rodriguez. Obviously, that's where the Everton link comes in. But could Arsenal finally get a, a big name replacement for Ozil, perhaps?
2: I don't see the Arsenal one coming off, if I'm honest, but like, as you say, the Everton one, I can see that, you know, possibly in the summer rather than January, uh, Ancelotti wanting to bring some new faces in and obviously they'll be looking to start the season fresh. And, you know, he'd be a massive name going there, wouldn't he, for them? And that it would give them a bit, a bit of a boost, you know, someone like that. Um, turning up. So I could possibly see the Everton one um coming to fruition in the summer because I think Angelotti will be looking to make a splash and looking to set his tone and, and try and turn it around there. So i definitely see, you know, Everton in the summer, but I don't think Arsenal, um I think, you know, that, that I don't see that one happening at all, to be honest. I think
0: Arsenal would be looking for something else rather than
2: another flair player that could possibly flop.
0: And Drew, Manchester United, they loaned out Chris Smalling at the start of this season, and to be fair, he's actually had a really good run at Roma, so much so that the club from the Italian capital want to sign him. However, United aren't budging from the 25 pounds asking price. So, I think this is one more with the summer in mind, but can you see the England international staying put in Italy?
1: Yeah, he has had a really good season. He's been one of their best defenders, and he's been a regular starter. And... I think United right now are trying not to budge on that because their defense hasn't been stellar. So if they can bring Chris Smalling back, maybe, and he could be one of their regular defenders, I think that's what they're holding out for. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to either have to... Uh, promote one of the younger kids or they're going to have to buy someone else I don't think Chris Smalling is the answer but I think that's why they're trying to draw this out and hold on to it at least through the end of the month and then that buys them time until the summer when they can make a decision I think that's what they're trying to do here
0: okay this one might have to be labelled wishful thinking because Newcastle have been linked with a loan move for Paco Alcacer from Borussia Dortmund Carl that's gonna be quite the leap if they manage to get him won't it
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think like you say, I think that is wishful thinking. Um, You know, obviously he's looking for a move, but um, I'd imagine he's probably got his sights and no disrespect to Newcastle, but he'd probably have his sights set on bigger, bigger clubs, possibly, you know, chasing bigger things. Um, So, yeah, I can't see that one happening, unfortunately. But, um, you know, Newcastle is good. They're setting their sights that high.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, if this was a goer, you'd then have to think, well, we're Tottenham, because that's probably the kind of striker that would be quite ideal for Tottenham, would you not think?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know... As you say, Dan, if you're talking about signing someone for thirty mil that you kind of think isn't setting the world alight in Italy, then as you say, if you gave me the option of either two players, I'd rather go for this one um, over over, you know, someone who's not really doing it because he has been proven to do it and playing in you know a very similar league to the to the English league. So I would definitely throw my eggs in that basket rather than rather than the other guy.
0: And Drew, let's stay on the theme of wishful thinking. Will it be wishful thinking of Manchester United signing Ben Chilwell in the summer?
1: Yeah, here's where I think United have the advantage is they have the name of Manchester United and they have the money. And so anyone who's trying to get them, I know Chelsea really wants to get Chilwell to be their next left back or whoever else is going to jump into it. Manchester United have the money to outspend them. Right. That's why Harry Maguire went there. That's probably the only reason he went there. And so I think that's what they're going to have to do if they want Ben Chilwell. And they have that advantage. So I think that's what it's all going to come down to is who's going to to pay the most money. And Ben Chilwell is going to make out like a bandit this summer from whatever team buys up his services.
0: Right. The final bit of business in the transfer tavern. And I guess it also might be wishful thinking. Carl, it goes to you. Will Tottenham land Gareth Bale before the end of January?
2: No chance. There
0: you go. That's what we needed.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Levy would have a fit when he sees the wage request, I think. (laughs) No, no chance. It it would be lovely, wouldn't it? What what a boost that would be. But I just think the numbers are too far out there. um, And I don't see our chairman, who's reluctant to spend money anyway, suddenly pushing this one through.
0: Yep, I think I'd have to agree with that 100. So, um, so yeah, that wraps up the uh, transfer travell. I hope you two enjoyed that elements of business, something a little different this week.
2: Yeah, yeah brilliant brilliant. Then, brilliant. You've uh, just crushed my dreams. Now, unfortunately, uh,
0: well, sorry, sorry, Carl, <laughs> nothing personal. But um, <laughs> right then, so hopefully, I haven't hope crushed your dreams so much that you don't want to come back next week.
2: No, definitely looking forward to it, mate. Really enjoyed this one.
0: Fantastic. Yep, and-
1: absolutely, and I'll be here as well.
0: Excellent. Right then. With that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye.